No, no, no. You were going to ask me a question. It was about a prospective guest, but I can't remember who. Yes, it was about... Um, it was oh, about, well, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. When are we booking? Okay, so, so, do we say his name yet or no? I don't, I don't think somebody like that you say until you drop it. Okay, so here's, there's so many ways that this can go, Greg. I don't think we've talked about this potential guest on the pre-show. Okay. But we happen to get access to a member of arguably, arguably, uh, one of the top rock bands today. Agree. Right? So we got uh, this person's cell phone number. And it started off with me. It was, it was, was it Father's Day weekend? That's okay. Won't call him on the Sunday. I'll call him on the Monday. And I wanted to call. I didn't want to text. Because I thought you would just text. Yeah, I thought, let me call. I remember saying to you, are you just going to text him? Yeah, I thought I'd call. I have since texted, but we'll get to that. So anyways, I call and I said, hey, first name, last name. My name is Kareem Kanji. I got your number. This is how I got your number. I've been told you would like to come on our podcast. And as I'm about, and and usually I don't leave a number because usually I don't leave voicemails. I don't leave voicemails anymore to people. But if I'm leaving a voicemail for somebody that I don't know and doesn't know me. So it comes time, Greg, for me to leave my number. And I don't know about you, but I never call myself. So for me to remember my number, I need to think and give my number. Well, obviously, as it came time to give my number, I'm thinking in my head, what the heck is my phone number? And so I thought, let me just start saying it and it'll come out. So I start saying it and I get the, I get my postal, I get my area code correct. I get the first three digits correct of my number and I butcher the last four numbers. Totally incorrect. And I hang up and I go, shit. (laughs) And so Greg, I had to write down my phone number on a piece of paper to say, yes, that's my number. And I called back. And I said, before I called back, I go, damn it, we're never going to hear back from this guy. (laughs) And I called back, Greg, and I say, so-and-so, this is uh, Kareem calling back. I left you my wrong number. Here's my correct number. Talk to you soon. Gave him my number. Click hang up. And Greg, I thought that I was going to tell you a story of... Misery and despair? Yes, here's the guest we're never going to hear back from. Well, lo and behold, about a a week passes, maybe less than a week, and I get a text. And the text says, hey, Kareem, this is... So-and-so. So-and-so. First name, last name. Gives me his first name, last name. Like you wouldn't know. And uh, first name, last name. And I go, ah, I'm like, ah. And I think I called you. I said, Mm -hmm. oh, look look who texts me. Um. And so I texted back and I said, yeah, I would love to talk with you to set up a time 
to get you on a podcast. Maybe a day or two, day or two passes. And I'm making, I think I'm making French toast for brunch. And the number calls me. The number calls me. And so I pick up. I, I call Minas. Minas, I got to take this call. Take the French toast. I zip, I zip out, try to get a quiet room. And my head is now full of noise and I can hardly hear him. But we're having a decent conversation. And um, he said, yeah, I'd love to have you on. Or, or he said, I'd love to come on. Let me know. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll text you. I said, I need to speak to Greg. I will text you days and times were available. And so I do that. I talk with you. And I texted him a couple of day, a day or a day later. Didn't hear from him. So I left him another voicemail. With my correct number. Still haven't heard from him. So this is what we're going to do, Greg. Oh, I thought we're, you were going to tell me you had heard back from him. We booked a t- date. No, we're going to. So I thought he called yesterday. I was riding, I was, uh, Kazma and I were riding our bikes in the evening and I got this call from a, from a number and, and the, po- and the area code was an, an, uh, not a local area code, something, ah, this is so-and-so calling, but it wasn't, it wasn't him. No, it wasn't him. I was, I was slightly disappointed. Um, but we'll, we'll talk about our pursuit of, uh, of this guest, uh, until we, until we get this guest or until we stop doing the podcast. So, so let's hope this isn't sort of the Jimmy Kimmel, Ben Affleck and Ben Affleck's boyfriend's partner, Matt Damon, Matt Damon. Thank you. Yes. Let's um, hope this is not a Jimmy Kimmel and Matt Damon thing. Yeah. Or if it is, we're going to start calling him out by his name. We're going to start, or do we start calling him Matt Damon? <laughs> Good. That's Good. <laughs> so the so we'll call him we'll call him Matt Damon for now. Hi, the following podcast is brought to you by Radical Road Brewery, the best craft beer in the heart of Leslieville. Find him at eleven seventy seven Queen Street East. That's Radical Road Brewery. Hi, this is Kevin Como from Crownlands, and welcome to the music. Yeah! Welcome! Thanks for coming. Thanks for joining us, Kevin. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I'm, uh, I'm excited to be here. No problem. You're you're up north in your studio. Where's north? Uh, Oxbridge. Uh, we've been building a studio in our downtime and just trying to take advantage Whoa. of uh, this, you know, this situation where all of our touring has been canceled and we're trying to like rebuild ourselves. And uh, it's been, you know, definitely a bummer because what we thought this year was going to be, you know, we were telling ourselves that this was going to be the year of Crownlands and. Uh, the year that we were hoping to be our breakout year has turned out to be another period of hibernation for us. And 
you know, it, it's tough to reconcile that, you know, when uh, your dreams come crashing down, but we're, we're making the most of it. So we recorded uh, a few of our EPs up here at Chalet and it's just become a second home to us and the B room became available. And so we've, uh, we've partnered with our long, long suffering producer, engineer, friend, therapist, uh, Justin Melly. And uh, we decided to kind of partner with them and build the studio space together. And it's been amazing. Like basically the last couple of weeks, we've just been working hard, putting it together. And now it's finally, it's finally there. So now we can uh, start making music and, you know, we don't have the excuse of, well, we have to build, you know, another isolation booth. We have to just go and make the music. So, so one of, one of my favorite memories as a musician, many, 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 many years ago, was sitting there recording and looking out these bay windows and a deer comes up when we're in the middle of a, it's the middle of winter. Yeah. And so when I saw the video, the acoustic video you guys did, I immediately yeah. recognized the brick wall or the, the stone wall. <laughs> yeah. How special is that place? Oh, it is absolutely incredible, man. It's, um, it's been like the place of dreams, you know, because uh, Dave and she, the owners, I think they built Chalet kind of in the image of La Studio. And I think their first real big clients were Rush. And, you know, Cody and I, we worship Rush. Uh, that's pretty obvious in our music and all of our interviews. And uh, so it was a dream of ours to finally come up here and, and work here. And so we did that back in 2017. And ever since then, it's just, it's truly felt like a second home. And so it's, it was nice to, kind of come back here back in February because we had, we had toured um, like all across the States for pretty much all of last year. And then we came back and recorded an acoustic record with Justin up at Chalet. And then we filmed the the acoustic videos and it's, you know, it's just been, um, it's been this beautiful circular uh, journey for sure. But man, like the room sounds so good. The, the vibe is so good. It's just, it's so hard to be able to connect with nature when you're recording music. And Cody and I are both like really big nature freaks. We basically spend as much time in the woods as we humanly can. So it's nice to balance that out with the music. Wait a second. Greg, you've used the studio before? Yep. Yeah, recorded uh, a few of our tracks up there over the years. That's awesome. Um, uh, who, who do you play with, Greg? Well, I, I, years ago. It was years and years ago. You were, you were a kid. Um, <laughs> uh, recorded, recorded there with, um, as The Life was the name of the band then. Um, okay. got, a little, got a little factor money and helped us go nice. up there and work with Dave. And at the time, Everett was working there as one of the engineers. And yeah, right. yeah it's just, it's a, I just, I love the place. I remember um, seeing uh, Vernon Reed from Living Color uh, yeah. play, play at Hugh's room. And uh, he was working with, Aubrey Day. Did I get that right? Okay. And, um, and they did a video from there as well. And same sort of thing. As soon as I saw the room, it's like, oh. so we had a, we had a great chat about that place as well. Yeah. That's awesome. I love yeah. that. It, you know, t- it takes you back down to memory uh, lane. Cause it's, I think it's such an important studio in Canadian music history. And I think really as far as historic um, monumental studios, it's the last one that's left. You know, I think it's the only one that hasn't closed. And I think that's so special you know and so i'm glad that um it's still being used by the next generation kind of thing now you kevin you probably saw greg's band back in the day because greg you were you were an oshawa you guys were an oshawa band weren't you with oshawa yeah yeah yeah. nice nice 
Yeah, you gotta like uh, you gotta mention Whitby for sure. Like, I grew up in Whitby, and um, I spent my whole life saying I'm from Whitby, not from Oshawa. And then I moved, <laughs> moved to Oshawa when I made Crownlands uh, with Cody. So it's kind of. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I remember living out. Uh, you know, now we got the Schwa pride. Exactly. Yeah. Now it is absolutely, and it's funny because when I was when I was playing back sort of the early, sort of late '80s, early '90s, um, I remember the first real reference to the Schwa was 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 a bunch of sort of garagey bands like um uh anyway well i can't remember who the bands were shark graffiti and a few others that played at whatever the bar is that's on simcoe south just north of the 401 and they called it schwa noise and that's okay. the first reference that i remember it would have been about in 91 ish that i remember wow. the term schwa yeah Nah, the shwiggity. Yeah, or like, uh, <laughs> like I, I came onto the scene uh, like just after the dungeon had closed. So, um, yeah, like, uh, do you remember a venue called the Mustache Club? Yeah, yeah. And, yep. Yeah, that was where Cody and I really got our start and um, a lot of great memories. Unfortunately, it's closed now, but I mean, pretty much every indie venue is going to be closing, which is a bummer. But we'll see a new beginning for sure at the end of all of this, I hope. What do you, what do you think the other side's going to look like? What do you think? Uh, I really hope um, that we're going to see government subsidized music venues because I, I fully, I, I've, I've been saying this for years, but especially now is that I think the model of the for-profit privately owned music venue that only makes its money through alcohol sales, I think that business model is absolutely dead. I think that uh, our municipal government or provincial government really needs to step in and start building all ages event centers. Uh, so that way the next generation has somewhere they can create, not feel a pressure to be selling tickets for opening a band for a band. You know, that's something we never did. We never joined into that, um, that kind of BS um, pyramid scheme, supernova kind of stuff. Like we never bought into that and we're really lucky for it, but we've seen so many young bands get taken advantage by, you know, predatory promoters like that. And so I think that's really the future of live music, man, is uh, figuring out ways to get um, like publicly funded all ages music venues. And that's what I really hope to see at the end of this. There's something to be said for that because sometimes we, we have no problem funding the sky dome or funding you know the next big sports venue that is owned by big corporations or billionaires yeah but but we we don't tend to spend the money on you know we always talk about grassroots but we don't you know we don't keeping huge room going for example yeah yeah right so that's that's an interesting idea i've never heard anyone bring that up i don't know if you have uh, greg no i think it's i i i i agree i think it's it would be great to have more particularly and we've, we've talked about this with a few guests just about the cost of going to see a show these days right yeah and it's like, like a big, it show. Can, it's a big just, show it can be so astronomical yeah um it'll be interesting to see if we have sort of a level set after this or do we see that accelerate i don't know I mean, it's it's been tough, right? Because I'm sure you saw like Live Nation's announcement that uh, like the onus is going to be on a lot of artists. And um, I mean, it's so tough because like we have so many friends at Live Nation. Uh, so like, I don't know how um, how in depth I can go about that. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> but you know, like I, I think um, I, I think we're gonna have to see 
smaller uh, stages and um, like more spread out and smaller venues. And hopefully we'll see artists coming through on like two or three nights. Cause on one side, um, when you're setting up these bigger productions and you're, you know, you're putting on like 10,000 cap room, like events, I find like the intimacy is never what it should be. The sound is never what it should be. The sight lines are always kind of shitty. Um, it's always kind of a bummer, right? Like the quality of a show where you go to the Danforth Music Hall or the Phoenix is significantly different from going to, you know, Rogers Center or Scotiabank. Like yeah. I've never walked out of Scotiabank and be like, wow, I'm really glad the show was there. <laughs> like not once. And sure. Uh, uh it's there's something to be said about like a theater and i think that's like as big as you can get while still retaining quality i'd say like that 1500 cap room and hopefully we're going to see these like stadium artists coming through in the next couple years doing like three or four night stints and um i don't know how that's going to work with like local uh union uh, people economies because obviously uh you know you're setting up on one night and tearing down a few nights later. So I'm not sure about that as far as like monetizing it, but I understand why artists go for the bigger shows is you have those bigger margins and then it's less work. Cause you know, you're making the same money playing one show instead of free shows. But you know, for me as like a young hungry artist, who's just coming up in the world, I would, you know, like I'd live to play music. I would love to be playing three shows in one city instead of one show in one city, you know, mm-hmm. obviously because we're a smaller band, we're, we are still an opening act for most of our tours. We haven't really done a big headlining tour. And, uh, you know, like our first headline tour, we went out East coast and we finished off playing in front of five people in Halifax. And then a month later we got picked up by Jack white. And then we finished the tour with Jack playing in front of 10,000 people in Halifax. And you're like, this is significantly better. I think we're going to do more of this. (laughs) Yeah. um, How did, uh, how did Jack white uh, discover you guys? Um, it was kind of, uh, interesting because we were booked on like this other tour, uh, and we share the same agents, uh, with Jack White back in, uh, like William Morris down in the States and they were looking for an opener and we got submitted by our agents and our manager. And I think it was, it was Jack's bass player, uh, was in charge of picking the Canadian support act and it was down to the wire, man. I think we, we got a phone call Monday night. And uh, our manager's like, you have to leave tomorrow morning to get to Edmonton on Thursday <laughs> uh, in time for the show. And we're like, okay, sure. And he's like, by the way, you can't announce it. So uh, we called up our, our tour manager and our guitar tech. And so they, they took the train from like Ottawa and, you know, got into Oshawa at four in the morning. Then we hit the road at like six and uh, we drove straight for two days to get to Alberta in time. And, you know, obviously it was so down to the wire that we had to start calling production companies to get our gear sent to the venue in time, but we weren't allowed to announce who we were. And so we started saying that, you know, we need this equipment sent here. And they're like, oh, so you guys are the openers for Jack White. We're like, you can't say that. You can't say that. <laughs> but it was, um, it was amazing, man. It was ridiculous. Uh, I think it was our first time eating well on a tour because uh, we were, well, we were allowed to eat the, um, the cruise catering, which was amazing. And there was always great vegan options because like all of us try and eat uh vegan on the road and um so that was huge that was just i found like the morale in in the band and the crew was unprecedented because you know it's it's amazing what a difference it makes when everyone's eating well and uh they were so nice to us and they let us show up early so that we could eat lunch and dinner and like i don't know about you guys but i don't know if you spent much too, too much time on the road but 
eating two good meals a day is just like, that's pretty bougie. We got spoiled really good on that tour. Wow. You know what? It's weird. Greg, you probably can relate to this because you've, mm-hmm. you've told stories on here about sleeping in vans and stuff like that. Um, yeah. I, I just took it for granted that everybody, that everybody ate. Oh, I remember, yeah. I remember pooling money just so we could all buy peanut butter. We were playing like in Sutton to kick <laughs> off part of our Ontario tour. And it's like, yeah. we're all pooling money together so we can buy a, a thing of peanut butter and a loaf of bread to get through the week. Yeah. Oh, totally, man. Like it, it's absolutely, I mean, it, it's kind of, uh, um, I look on it with like fondness though, for sure is, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, eating off pizza and peanut butter and uh you know uh only recently we started seeing our riders getting fulfilled so we get like a nice thing of hummus and some cauliflower <laughs> and i just find like that keeps you going man for sure like we try and eat well on the road because that's like the biggest thing is um everyone becomes assholes on like the fourth or fifth day you know and everyone's just eating mcdonald's and burger king it gets really really bad and then um our, our guitar tech calvin actually has an instagram page called gas station chicken and we, we put an end to that for sure because the guy would like, like I don't know if you guys like see in like in the States a lot, there's like, there's always like fried chicken at the gas stations. And it's like, that is weird. Uh, it, like the, the smell in the van was like, uh, we, we weren't, we couldn't do that anymore. And that's why like, we tried to like do like a strict vegan thing on the road. So that way that doesn't happen as much. But yeah. <laughs> Tell me, Kevin, how did you and uh, and Cody meet? Um, so we met about five years ago, and I just um, I come back from from California. Like when I was younger, uh, I hitchhiked there and I joined a reggae band, and then I came back home for Christmas. And a friend of mine was auditioning for a band that Cody was playing drums in, and I'd heard that uh, like Cody was a big Rush fan, so I, I crashed the audition and. Um, Cody and I hit it off instantly and uh, I got the gig. And then um, I eventually just kind of, I fell into another band and toured for a year and Cody and I stayed in touch. And um, at that point, Cody was just a drummer, you know, but I'd heard them sing and it was some of the best singing I've ever heard. I'm like, Cody, you should really think about pursuing this. And finally, like everything worked out like a year into our relationship that we just started jamming in our friend's barn. And I think our first EP was written in the first day that we really got together and jammed as a duo. And it just seemed to work out really well. And um, I, at the time, I was hosting an open mic in Oshawa. And Justin, who produced our first two EPs and uh, Wayward Flyers EP that just came out, uh, he, he was hanging out. He saw his plays. Like, Are you guys a band? And we said, we're thinking about it. And he's like, well, tell you what, let me produce it and we'll figure it out. And it's just amazing five years down the road, we're all still together and we're all still doing our thing. And um, it's nice to, uh, you know, see a lot of our dreams realized after, just like on a whim of, you know, hearing it's like, oh, you know, this person really likes Rush. I should probably go and meet them. And uh, here we are. That's that's interesting. You you mentioned hitchhiking to L.A. or to California being a reggae yeah. band. Yeah. Um, one of the things I wanted to touch on was two years ago today was not a happy day in the Toronto music scene. Yeah. Uh, fast forward to December 28th. And first time I saw you guys, oh. you're on stage at the Gary Lowe tribute. And yeah. I just like how I got goosebumps, man. I, every time I think of that night, 
That was one of the most special musical nights in my life. How about like, what was it like to just share the stage with those guys and be part of that? Oh my God, man. That was like a huge highlight. That was the first time Cody ever uh, came out from behind the drum kit and just sang. And uh, I think we awakened a monster that night, you know, because now Cody's like so like hyped on just being a vocalist because I think uh, there's a bit of reluctance um, of being like the front person because like both Cody and I are like we're rhythm players like I'm a bass player first Cody's a drummer first and for some reason being in a duo I have to fulfill the role as like a guitar player and Cody fulfills the role of being the, the front person so it's really funny that you know we'd be just as happy sitting in the background goofing off as uh, like a rhythm section in any other band. But, you know, strange turn of events where here we are doing uh, everything we can. But that night was amazing, man. Gordy Johnson is one of my heroes. Like that guy um, really paved the way for a lot of things that I do. You know, he um, he does a lot of like double neck stuff. He uh, he's the master of open tuning slide. And, uh, you know, we've been lucky enough to, to jam with him in the past. He's amazing. He's one of the nicest guys, you know, you'll ever meet. And yeah, it was really really freaking cool and actually like so the story for that is like um we got invited to come to the audition and so we went and uh learned a bunch of big sugar tunes and we thought we totally bombed it man i like we thought we we screwed everything up because gordy was just kind of sitting there wasn't saying anything and then at the end of the day expected to be like sorry like good good try kids he's like you guys played better than everyone else like you know absolutely come on stage and it was yes like huge victory moment yeah what props to get from that like yeah that. oh my god like they were so cool and then we uh we played a couple other shows with them and we ended up uh doing uh what what song do we do i think um uh no sugar in my coffee right and uh so we did that one um uh on a couple other shows that we opened up for them and like that was just like it's so cool to share the stage with gordy and big sugar that guy is a monster absolute monster musician and i don't know if you like see his strings on stage but they're like an inch or two off the neck that guy is the strongest fingers i've I've ever seen i i can't play his guitars i don't know how he does it he's um he's got beefy hands so greg you've seen these guys play live i have what tell me man no it's great i mean i mean you did the, the you were part of the big sugar i haven't seen you guys play live as yourselves i don't think Although I was saying to my wife the other day, I was sure we've seen you guys open for somebody, but I can't remember. But anyway, um, okay. but yeah, no, they jumped up and did a song or a couple of songs, I think, wasn't it? With Big Sugar and... and I think it, it was just the, oh, was it the, one? It was just the yeah. one. And then there was like the big encore. Um, yeah, where everybody came back up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, it was, it, was, it was spectacular. I remember texting my son and my son's, you know, closer to your age or very, very close to your age. And I remember texting him and asking him, like, do you know Crown Lands? Because he hung out at the Mustache Club and like, you know, like okay. he, he's lived out in the Schwa for the last probably five years now, something like that, as well as my daughter lives out that way as well. Uh, they were born out there as well. Um, and he was like, oh yeah, no, they're, they're, they're an amazing band. I'm like, I'm just seeing them for the oh, first time. And it's like, holy shit. Like awesome. you guys does, just killed it. Does your son play as well? He does. He um, just jams, not just, he jams. Um, with yeah. a bunch of bunch of buds and stuff. Uh, he grew up. Yeah, he's he's one of these he's one of these musicians that I, I I wish I had been. Which is like when he was a teenager, he'd be like, you know, I think I want to because they grew up playing piano, and he'd be like, yeah, I think I want to play bass. Like, okay, so we go down to Steve's music. He saves up over the summer. You know, he's like thirteen yeah. or fourteen or whatever. Goes and buys himself a bass, and then like a year or so later, he's like, yeah, I think 
I think I want to play drums. And I'm like, okay, sure, if you want. And, you know, a year later, he's rocking out Rage Against the Machine with his buds, just hammering oh, it. So he's very, uh, <laughs> yeah. Fuck yeah. Never, he never pursued it, like, professionally. But, yeah, he just he loves to jam. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's it's totally different when you start treating it like a job. I mean, I th- think this quarantine has helped Cody and I find the joy in just playing for the sake of playing. I mm-hmm. think we've lost that for a couple of years, you know. You know, the we're the jaded old professional musicians. Huh? But <laughs> but no, for real though, like, you know, because you spend... Um, you know, you spend a couple of years just perfecting 45 minutes of music for recording it. And then you spend uh, the next year perfecting a half hour of music so you can have the perfect tight opening set. And, you know, um, it took us a long time to come out of that like rigid way of thinking. And it was opening up for guys like Jack White and Primus, where they changed up the set every night. And it was so inspiring. Whereas we're kind of sitting here like, ooh, you know, I thought you had to play the same thing every night. And um, that really helped us loosen up and figure out like how to be more organic and free with it, not be afraid to screw up. Mm -hmm. And I mean, like that fear is still there, obviously, because we're still young and we have to prove ourselves, right? And um, those guys, they don't have to prove anything. So I think that affords them that kind of fluidity with uh, their music and experimenting. So we're trying to get that confidence early on so that way we don't end up playing the same thing night after night. I mean, it's not going to have to worry about that right now. Sure. But, you know, uh, yeah, it's, it's tough when you're like just trying to find the joy in music when you're also under that pressure to make sure it's the best thing ever. You know, and it's always a bummer when the next song you write is actually the worst song you've written, not the best song. Oh no. <laughs> you know. <laughs> when, how did you guys land on the name Crownlands? Uh, it, it took a while. Um, you know, we were jamming uh, and we had written most of the music before we even came out with a band name. Mm-hmm. And um, just a friend of ours uh, mentioned it to us. He's like, you know, you're Canadian. Like, this is a cool concept to look into. And so Cody is is half Indigenous. Uh, yeah. They're uh, Mi'kmaq, uh, the tribe out from uh, Nova Scotia. And uh, we started researching it. And like, obviously, um, you know, like Crownland is used for um, like all the, the oil sands in Alberta is Crownland. Uh, all the old growth forests in Northern Ontario that are used for clear cutting, that's crown land. Uh, a lot of the indigenous res- reservations across the country are on crown land. So it's basically, it's land that's like federally regulated, but still technically owned by the monarch, hence the term crown land. It's kind of an antiquated term. And it, it's got like a lot of power to that uh, that name because it's technically still is stolen land because a lot of... Um, like unceded indigenous territory that was never signed away on these treaties in like 1873, it's still contested land yet, you know, the federal government thinks they can just show up and displace these people today. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this is, is kind of our way of uh, highlighting that issue and our way of sort of reclaiming it back for the people whose land it really is. And mm-hmm. obviously, you know, um, we're not trying to profess any like expert opinions. All we can do is raise awareness be like, Hey, this is what's going on in our country. Let's talk about it. Let's, you know, shine a light on these issues. And so, you know, we've used the platform to talk a lot about uh, indigenous issues in the past, like our song mountain Mm. uh, touches a bit on residential schools and the horrors of colonialism. And, you know, even when we made that song a few years ago, um, I, I think the collective consciousness is a lot closer to um, like everyday people 
know about residential schools now, whereas you know, a few years ago, people didn't know about it. I mean, yeah, I wasn't taught true. about it in schools. I think it's only uh, the upcoming semesters for public schools are finally going to be taught about it. And the last one closed in 1996, you know, and um, yeah, residential yeah. schools is, is cultural genocide, you know, like like millions of Indigenous people uh, went into these this school system and had their culture like, wiped out over the course of a few generations. And it's it's really it's really fucking sad about what this country mm. uh, has done to its indigenous people. And uh, it's just, it's not something that's talked about because I think a lot of Canadians um, believe in like the myth of Canadian exceptionalism. And, you know, we look mm. down on the States and they're like really complicated history. And I find that a lot of Canadians believe that we're just the peaceful yeah. apartment that's, you know, happens to be living on top of a meth lab. And I think we have, we have to really t- take a long hard look at ourselves and be like we we aren't so innocent we have a lot of things to reconcile and we have to get on that healing path because ignoring it is not the answer have you and, and maybe you and cody but whether both both of you together or you on your on your own kevin have you always been sort of i don't know politically active or or politically aware um yeah, I think so. Like, it's, I mean, I think like, you know, your very existence is political and like, everyone's like, I don't believe in politics, but I also, you know, I hate the fact that I have to work long hours and, you know, live in like a shitty slum. And, uh, you know, I hate the fact that, you know, my taxes aren't actually going to uh, supporting the causes that I believe in, you know? So I think, um, mm. you know, um, I don't think you can really afford to ignore politics you know because then again you're just burying your head in the sand mm. but again we don't want to come across saying like we really know everything or re- even we really know anything i mean i studied classical music in university cody studied philosophy you know so we um you know we're not like political scientists <laughs> you know we're sure. musicians we're artists but yeah. yeah i mean we are definitely interested in that side of things and we want to do good because like we don't want to play rock and roll to talk about rock and roll we don't you know we're not playing music just to play music we you know we're going to use our voice to talk about things that matter to us and i think like mindfulness and being aware of what's going on around you and like how that's affecting uh the people around you and maybe the most vulnerable people in our society i think that's important i think Mm -hmm. you should absolutely um educate yourself and so we never want to you know um we don't want to be like rage against the machine and be like you know fuck you for not knowing we want to greet people with compassion and it understanding and education because we're not gonna we want to be an inclusive band you know that being said you know a few a few people um we've had to block a few people on instagram like people that used to be our fans and we're like you know you guys uh you know i don't think that like you know indigenous people should have their rights you know just take and we're like whoa 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 like you know like our our kindness and our compassion only goes so far like once people start acting like uh dicks you know we'll we'll definitely tell people what's up but you know i think for the most for the most part people want to do good i again i think it's um just the miseducation uh that's like present in our you know in our schools our public schools is is a huge bummer and it's nice to finally see some of that change happening Mm -hmm. Uh, because again like my whole life like i didn't know a lot about this you know in grade six when you taught about canadian history People are talking about, you know, in the 17th century, Christopher Columbus shows up as if it was a good thing. And, you know, you yeah. just kind of, it's, it's dangerous when people take stuff like that as rote. And you're like, yeah, sure. That's, 
that's cool, you know, and then, um, and then it takes years to unlearn that. And um, so yeah. that's what I mean, where you have to, meet, you know, meet people with uh, compassion, because people only know what they know. Yeah, and, you know, people don't like uh, being challenged on those norms. Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes su- they need to be right. Yeah, even if even if you could do it, whether it's subtly or less subtly than subtle through your music. And, and yeah, message, exactly. Like we're not. Right? Show- yeah, we don't show up on stage and like, you know, our whole set is like built around um, like our political message. You know, we, we try and dedicate maybe like one song per record, you know, on our upcoming uh, album. They have a song called End of the Road and it deals with the Highway of Tears in BC, mm. uh, you know, where um, uh, like I think 18 to 83, they're not sure the exact number of Indigenous uh, women, children of two-spirit people have gone missing. And so we're trying to highlight that and um, like bring awareness to that because when we were writing the record, I was listening to a lot of podcasts about Thunder Bay and yeah. uh, the tears. And so we just, you know, we, we find ourselves getting moved by this. And so, you know, we want to write, we want to write about that. We don't want to just be like, Hey baby, how you doing? Kind of thing. You know, that's, that's been done sure. and it's cool. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, you, you talked about uh, your song Mountain. I watched the video uh, yeah. I think yes, yesterday or the day before. Um, it's interesting because you you play it in a church, or you yeah. you, you know so you, you you sort of see the stained glass, so that's very telling. Uh, yeah. And then and then there's also a child with a Hudson's Bay blanket. Yeah, uh, I don't know if it's wrapped around him or he's just sitting on it or something. So there's a lot of these visuals that like you're right you know you're not hitting people over the head with it but if people are paying attention uh you you notice these things and i think with me i noticed them so i knew okay cody you know he's micmac and when i saw the the blanket i go wait a second let me let me really listen to this song and then i noticed oh they're in a church i said whoa this is this is not just another rock and roll song you know, this yeah. is, this is their, 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 they've got, they've got stuff to say, you know, you might, yeah, thanks, Green. Yeah, you might yeah. not be as angry as, as Rage Against the Machine, but, uh, yeah. that, that, that exactly. we still, we do have like a lot of that, uh, Canadian politeness for sure. <laughs> yeah. So we want, yeah, we want it. So, yeah. It's like, that um, is so true. It's not quite fuck you. I won't do it. You tell me, but something like that, you know, it's like, no, thanks. <laughs> When, um, let's go, let's go way back. Um, yeah. You know, you, you, you have been playing for a while. You, you went off to, to California, uh, to play in a reggae band. What you, what are some of your influences? Like, how did you first start playing? What was your first instrument? Yeah. Um, so I started playing bass when I was 11. Uh, I remember I heard holiday by green day on the radio and during the bridge, you know, it's like the big bass solo. And I was like, what is that and uh, like my dad was a folk musician and so he uh, kind of raised me on like bob dylan and johnny cash and gordon lightfoot he's an amazing uh finger style player and so he bought me a bass when i was 11 he taught me how to play all along the watchtower and i was fucking sold you know (laughs) and uh you know i got really into punk rock i had like short spiky blue hair and uh you know the misfits and the clash and uh green day like you know it's like i worship those bands but then all of a sudden my parents started coming around being like yeah like this music is pretty good and you know i was like a 14 year old punk rocker 
And I was like, well, I need to find something that they don't like so I can, you know, rebel even more. And so I discovered that my parents absolutely hated Rush. They, I don't know why <laughs> they hated it. And so like the, so the obvious, um, you know, the obvious way to rebel was to go so punk to get into Prague. And then I discovered Rush. And I remember like I heard of Farewell to Kings for the first time. And, you know, that was the first time I think I registered what a synthesizer was. And I became obsessed with keys. And I ended up playing keyboards because of that band. And, you know, through that, I found Emerson, like Palmer and Deep Purple and Yes and Genesis and King Crimson. And I just fell into like the prog rock rabbit hole. And by the time I had met Cody, I was like so far into that world. And I heard Cody play drums. And I thought Cody sounded a lot like Bill Bruford who was the drummer in Yes, and then Bill eventually joined Genesis as a touring member when Phil became the singer, and then he uh, joined King Crimson. So Bill Bruford is like the consummate professional drummer. It's like he was he kind of laid the path for what Neil Peart became. Mm. And uh, when I first heard Cody play drums, I was like, oh, yeah, you sound like Bill. And Cody's like, oh, who's Bill Bruford? So I ended up sending Cody a bunch of King Crimson, and that you know, created an obsession in Cody as well of... Um, like Bill Bruford is the master of five, four for sure. You know, Rush is the seven, eight band, but Bruford is the five, four man for sure. And, um, I, you know, Cody and I like geek out over odd time signatures just as much as we geek out over, um, a good melody. And that's kind of like the dynamic in crown lens. We try and push ourselves. Like how can you write a song in a weird time signature, but still somehow make it accessible you know yeah it's funny it's funny you say that about Bruford because it's like I think of the the, some of my favorite yes songs are where they they go back and forth between four four and five four and just like yeah just and it's just and then back in and it's just yeah like a long distance runaround is classic for it like uh like five over four for sure yeah Yeah, that's sick you guys are talking like you guys are talking like Greek to me but do you remember do you remember five (laughs) four though do you remember Kareem what? What five four means? No. What am I? Oh. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm not the musician. I'm the podcast guy. I don't know. What do I know? About? No, I know. No, no. We we talked about. We, we, we know we were we were at Radical Road back back in the day when we actually could hang out face to face and yeah and meet up and talk and have a drink. And uh, I remember oh. I can't remember who it was. You asked somebody about that, and yeah, because we were geeking out or. Yeah, I was at, signatures and anyway. Yeah, I was asking, oh dude, what's his Orphan George? I think I was asking uh, him. I remember him telling me. Yeah. Yes. Anyway. That's that's so right. true. That Sorry. is so, didn't mean I'm, to call you out on that. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> We're we are if if nothing, we are honest and we are real on this yeah. on this podcast for sure. Um what um you know, so obviously Rush Yes, Genesis and, and, and those bands. Um, yeah. My manager's you... going to kill me if I mention Rush one more time. He's always like, you guys can't just be a Rush worship band. No. <laughs> the Rush the Rush cover band. Well, it's, it's now when you yeah. guys play, is it yeah. still just the two of you when you play? Yeah, Rush? it is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we've, um, we have a really great crew with us, but we've, we've never added members on stage because again like we've always wanted to like be really uh, authentic to who we are and you know um i just find that chemistry works so well you know uh between cody and i and we fill up the sound in a very unique way and people seem mm. to respond to it mm-hmm. so it's kind of like you know if it ain't fixed don't don't break all right if it ain't broke don't fix it yeah and um 
you know, we kind of came up with a rule when we made the band was, you know, we didn't want to deal with click tracks. We didn't want to deal with backing tracks because, you know, I think we respect our audience way too much than to like pull that wool over their eyes. I think it's kind of, you know, I find it so disappointing when you go and spend your money and go and watch a band and you're basically watching karaoke. It's kind of embarrassing. So we've just decided like we are not going to do that. Mm. And it takes it takes something special to pull that off as a two piece. It really like I think, yeah. I think Royal Blood just is another band that just absolutely I don't know if you're f- fans of theirs or if you yeah. like them or whatever, but they, I mean just they just, use backing tracks. They do. They, they do. do. I have a title. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a, yeah. I went, I went and saw them play with. Uh, They're opening up for uh, da, 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 Josh Homme, oh, Queens, Queens, of the, Queens of the Stone Age. Age. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I did, I did. We were on. I was on the floor, and so I did see the the drummer turn on, turn off. But it's like, but anyway, good on you guys for not wanting to go there. So I mean, I'll, okay. In all fairness. In all fairness, like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fault those guys because they do, they put on a really great show and they are a great band and they know how to write a really good radio friendly song. And you know what? I haven't seen the success that they've seen, you know, like they're, they're playing stadiums, you know, um, obviously when we were opening up for Jack White, we were playing stadiums and we didn't find a need to to resort to those cheap tricks. But, um, you know, if, if that's what, if that's what they want to do, that's what they want to do. And like, I get it. Cause you know, their production style is very different from what we're doing and, um, you know, all the power to them. <laughs> what you, you, you and, uh, and, and Cody have different, you guys both like Neil Young. Oh yeah. Yeah. But we, you both we grew up. Here we go. Here we go. Seven fourteen. It took. It took. I held off for forty-five minutes. <laughs> go ahead. Carry on. I'm. I'm a little bit of a of a huge Neil Young fan. Awesome. Um, but you both like different styles, from what I've read of Neil Young. Um, yeah. I, I'm wondering that that road that led you to Neil Young. When did you first? When did you first discover? Him? What album was it? What song was it? What sort of music were you into at that time? Totally. I mean, uh, for me, uh, it was after the Gold Rush. Mm. Uh, is like it was the first Neil Young record I, I think I'd ever heard. But I think actually before that, I remember hearing "Heart of Gold" on um, sure. on the radio. Yeah, and it just sounded like mystical. Like you know, I was really young. And I think that was right when Lord of the Rings had just come out, and like that. For me, like that that song made me feel like that of like this epic journey and you know i didn't even know what hollywood or redwoods were and obviously you know it's neil's another canadian waxing lyrical about california it's like this magical land and i think that really influenced me growing up uh, later to you know going like hitchhike and spend a lot of time in california and um yeah i don't know man just he's um He's a genius. And, you know, my dad uh, was huge into Dylan. And obviously, Neil, I think, is on that same lyrical and musical level. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least Neil can actually play the harmonica. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think, like, my mom's favorite record of Neil's was After the Gold Rush. And so we had that on vinyl, and that was on in the house all the time. Oh, wow. And, um, you know, Birds was one of my favorite songs. And so when we came, to, it came time to make um wayward flyers uh we we went back and forth a bunch and um 
I, w- I won the bid for uh, choosing Birds because that was my favorite song on that record. And it was really fun to kind of reinterpret a piano song on the acoustic guitar. On guitar, yeah. And then Cody just, you know, Cody delivers a ridiculous, like almost Jeff Buckley-esque vocal on top of it. And um, that's like another huge influence of ours. Um, Jeff is like, you know, as far as chords go, that guy is the master of putting mm. in weird ass chords into pop music. But yeah, I don't know, man. Like Neil Young is just, uh, he's a Canadian icon. He's so, so important. And, um, you know, it's kind of cool. I think it was both like my mom and Cody's mom were like huge Neil Young fans. And um, it just like seeped into us. And it's like the ultimate, you know, Northern Ontario camping music. It's, uh, it's perfect. Yeah, yeah. What's, what's your favorite Neil record? Um. I have to go back to the first time I was attracted to it. So I, I probably heard Neil Young all my life, just didn't, you know, put everything together, you know, who Neil was or anything like that. But um, there was that, um, uh, that album where the song mansion on the hill uh, is on. Oh my goodness. The name escapes me right now, but mansion on the hill is one of the songs um, I think over and over again. Uh, is on that uh, album as well but um, that that album I think because I saw started seeing the videos on on much music and I, I think, think that's a uh, ragged glory ragged glory okay I, I can't find that album anywhere uh, there's some dude on Amazon that's trying to sell it for like a thousand dollars or something like that oh shit but um yeah, that that album is is what sort of stopped me because it was it was rock, it was accessible. It wasn't it's it's not it wasn't I'm trying to think of, it's not traditional Neil. Right? Mm-hmm. Like Neil, you But how gonna, do you define what traditional Neil is? I mean, that guy has ah, changed shit. his style I like know. every record. You know? Million, yeah. That is so yeah. true. But when like so at the time I was into rock. Um, and Neil's stuff was, you know, his, 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 like some of my favorite songs are like his eight minutes, you know, where, where it's like five minutes of guitar solos, three minutes of singing. And I just die for, for stuff like that. Um, but, but Ragged Glory, you know, the, the, the stuff that, that he released from that album was, you know, three to four minute, you know, pop songs, like rock songs on there. Hmm. And that's sort of what hooked me. And then it was like off to the library to get every other Neil Young CD and borrow yeah. it. Right. Um, I, I didn't, like, I let's, didn't have the- let's take a minute like to appreciate that, man. I mean, I yeah. spent like pretty much like every day after school, riding my bike to the library, taking all the CDs I could like burning them on my laptop. And like, that was, you know, that, <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> like, like, not, no, know, for I, sure. I, I, like, you know, I feel like a grumpy old man, you know, it's like kids these days with their Spotify and their <laughs> Apple music, but it's like consuming music is so much easier now at such a high quality. Right. And you had to like yeah. burn everything at a really low bit rate to get it all to fit on your iPod. And it's like the, awful digital aliasing that you had to listen to but it was worth it so that way you yeah. could you know that was how i discovered music you know i just like i'd burn onto my ipod like uh ride around on my bike and absorb the music it was awesome i that, i remember like you know uh yeah kevin i i i you, you might be too young greg you might remember this you know when the internet first 
back in the day when the internet first came. And, they, yeah. and, and there were these message boards that you could join. And I remember joining um, a Neil Young fan club or whatever. And hmm. people are like in text, right? There's no, there's none of this Facebook stuff, right? This stuff didn't exist. There was no posters or whatever. It was, you know, just text and people talking about shows and talking about music. And we used, I used to, I wish I had had these cassettes still, send money to some stranger down in the U.S. who had been to a Neil Young concert, send him money. No, I didn't send him any money. I would go to, I don't know what it was, a Radio Shack or something at the local mall, buy the most expensive cassette. 90-minute cassette, blank cassette, mail it off to some dude in the U.S. who would take the concert he just went to and recorded, put it onto the cassette, and then and then mail – I was going to say email it back to me, and then mail it back to me. And I had this beautiful cassette, and it was like Neil Young Live. Uh, and, you know, you, you discover songs like Pocahontas uh, and, and stuff like that, which mm. – which just blew my mind. Um, and so that's what impressed me about the internet was I could get Neil Young cassettes from strangers, uh, you know, somewhere else in the world that I've never met. Um, yeah. So Neil Young for sure. <laughs> so yeah, thanks. Thanks for doing wow. birds. That's a, that's a, that's a great rendition yeah. that, uh, that you guys pull off. Thanks. For sure. Yeah. I- I love that bootleg culture, man. Uh, yeah. that, that doesn't really happen anymore. It's, you know, like everyone pulls out their phone and records like the live thing on YouTube. And it always kind of sounds like shit, you know? But I mean, I feel like, I think as far as bootlegs go, I think I've listened to every bootleg of all time of Bob Dylan's. Like, I, mm-hmm. I swear to God, I've spent like more time listening to dylan than probably any other artist like there's just so much you can you can get of like these alternate versions and now he's finally putting out the legit versions but you know raiding my parents record collection as a kid yeah. and it all started with nice. um i think dylan's uh, great white wonder you know it was just like a blank white um record that showed up in record stores like 40 years ago and my dad somehow got his hands on it wow and, um, Fucking, I, I love the culture of that, right? And so, you know, we want to eventually do that of like having weird, rare versions of songs that show up on vinyl pressings and whatnot. And I think that's like why we're so lucky to have the team we do because we're doing all of these weird limited edition vinyl pressings of different colors and sneaking in weird like handwritten lyrics and sneaking in weird Polaroids and stuff. So that way, you know, down the road, we'll have kind of something like unique to the band that's not just the music because we want to approach the, the band as like, you know, this visual medium and like this artistic medium. We don't just want to be another rock band. We want to embrace all of these things that get us excited about music. And, you know, I just yeah. hear you talking about like mailing in, yeah, the old, like, like, uh, it was like the, um, like the Maxwell, like the cassettes yeah. and whatnot. And yeah, yeah, totally, man. Like that's like the expensive you know, that's nice. ones, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> How did you guys, so you, you talked about different things you want to do with your LPs and stuff. I know with Wayward Flyers, you guys are, what, I read somewhere you guys are inserting Polaroids. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That is so we cool. We had to take like, yeah, like it was just on a lark. And then we had to go and take like 500 pictures, right? Because we're only printing 500 of them. All right. And um, 
just for like this this run you know yeah. uh it was like, actually really exciting because i mean obviously we're a very small band we were only going to print 300 and then all of a sudden like the day like the first day of our um our pre-sale like it went through the roof so we had to go and print 500 which was like huge you know like that's like an amazing victory when uh you know our labels like drake has a billion streams and crownlands pre-sold like a hundred uh you know <laughs> for them. and we're like fuck yeah like yeah that victory you know like it's um you know it's so like you know obviously we're still very grassroots but i think sure. we're um we're really lucky that our fans seem to be like really believe in us and i don't think we have a lot of casual passing fans because we're not trying to push and become a radio band we don't want to chase number one after number one we just want to kind of do everything on our own terms and uh, again that's that's just what we want to do because we've seen a lot of canadian bands fall victim to chasing radio mm-hmm. and then you go to their shows and like there's 50 people there but they're number one on the radio but like, yeah that you know that's not that's not important to us i think we just want to make like the music that moves us and we want to move other people with it too you know how how would you? It's interesting because Wayward Flyers is it's like I would describe it as sort of a, a obviously it's acoustic but it's like a stripped down version, yeah of uh, uh, of Crownlands. Um, how would you describe your upcoming album, your debut album? Yeah, um, I would I would describe it as a uh, like a complete document of like where we are as a band because. Um, we definitely like we we pull a lot of influence you know like we love neil young just as much as we love uh like zeppelin you know and the thing is like we're always going to get those comparisons and so we just wanted to create those and like face them head on right like we um uh when we made the acoustic record a lot of people said oh it kind of sounds like zeppelin 3 and so we actually decided to be really cheeky about it and put uh like a bronyar stop kind of beat to howling back again and also now it's like our our most streamed song right now. And mm. that's awesome because it seems to be getting like a lot of playlist love. And again, like that was just like, cool, you know, cause I, I think it's, um, uh, rock music is going to be derivative and there are certain like cliches that you have to honor. And, you know, we're not afraid of that. We're going to like embrace it and not shy away from it. And it's just kind of funny where we decided to go full zap on that. And now it's like, it's doing really well. Cause even <laughs> Unlike another band I won't name, uh, when people say you sound like Zeppelin, you don't say, no, we don't. We sound like Aerosmith. You say, yeah, of course we do. Like, you know, I mean, come on. Like, I'm not sure what band you're talking about. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so this this record, uh, we went down to Nashville and recorded it with Dave Cobb. And Dave's amazing. He is such a cool guy. And uh, he's the guy who's behind all of Rival Sons records. And um, he's actually, he's won a bunch of Grammys for his work in country music, which is kind of ironic because he started out as a big rock guy and Jay Buchanan and Rival Sons was more of like an R&B and a country guy. And then they moved to Nashville around the same time as like Rival Sons took off. And then Dave Cobb found his way. Um, who did, He worked with like Sturgill Simpson and um, he did a couple songs on um, that Lady Gaga movie Star is Born. And so, like, yeah. you know, we thought it was funny to like go down and make a rock record with the guy who just finished working with Lady God. You know, we figured like that was like really cool. Nice. And, like, this guy was like, you know, he's he's a genius. He's amazing. And he did um, the last Alden Witches record as well, uh, which is one of my favorite bands going right now. They're like super cool, spooky Nashville blues doom, I want to say. Like, 
I don't know. Like imagine if um like Tool and um uh the doors decided to have mm. a jam set. Like you'd get all them witches. And you know, one of my it's Dave Codd like made that record sound absolutely incredible. And um, you know, uh it, it was I think the first time we worked in a studio um where we just tracked everything live off the floor for the beds. So, you know, Cody and I were in the room together. We did we, you know, because obviously like I preached, you know, not wanting to do click tracks, not wanting to do backing tracks. And Dave was really he uh, receptive to that. And so we didn't record with any click and you know, we'd record the song three or four times and just kind of like stitch that together. So sometimes like the chorus is a little bit faster than the verse and there's that push and pull. And I think that's um, so key because a lot of rock music gets sterilized these days and it's like, you know, it's to a grid and you end up side chaining the whole mix to the kick drum. And it's just like, I don't know, you get that kind of sameness to everything. And so it has like this organic breath to, to the whole record. Yeah. And, um, you know, Dave um, and Greg, the engineer, they have a lot of tricks up their sleeves for getting like really fat sounds out of one guitar. Because, you know, um, Dave, Dave said it best. You know, he's like, everyone wants to sound like Jimmy Page, but sure. everyone's afraid to have just one guitar uh, in the mix. Whereas now, you know, nowadays you listen to most rock music, there's like 10 guitar overdubs and uh, it just sounds kind of mushy. And so for this record, uh, we did really minimal overdubs. We just found a way to get like one guitar to sound really big, which is something I've been trying to achieve my whole life as, you know, being in a duo. I've figured out a lot of tricks of working with different amps and different signal chains to get like the fattest sound out of one guitar when we're playing live. And so it was really nice to walk in the studio and basically just set up my live rig and play and have everything work and sound it sound like us. Yeah. And so, you know, we took all of that and applied that to Wayward Flyers as well. Uh, and it's just ironic that Wayward came out after, or sorry, before the, the debut record where, you know, we recorded it. After. Okay. And that's just like a kind of a sign of um, like with the like coronavirus, obviously that changed our whole plan. <laughs> sure. But it's kind of nice because everyone was expecting like a big, loud rock record from us. And we threw an acoustic uh, record out. And I think that's good because you have to, shock people and whatnot so i think it worked out in a really beautiful way that's i was wondering what what kind of sound we could expect do we have a do we have a name for the album yet yeah it's uh it is self-titled okay i feel like you only get you only get to do a self-titled record once and so we may as well make it the first eat our lp and do it right you know i always found it kind of like hackneyed and awkward if you know the band's fourth album is the self-titled one they're like well, now we've arrived. You know, those other arrived. records, they weren't that, you know? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I think St. Vincent is the only artist who has done it well. I mean, but also, I love St. Vincent. So, I mean, she can do whatever she wants. And I will, um, you know, I will listen to it. So That's so cool. Um, when When is it coming out? When do you think it's going to come out? Uh, I think it's come out like uh, like late summer, early fall, I think. Yeah. Uh, that's about as much as I can say. But, you know, we've got like an exciting plan for it and like the way we're going to roll it out. I think we've got like, you know, a lot to say on the record because um, one of like my favorite song on the record is called End of the Road. And it's it deals with the highway of tears. And it, mm. like, we put together an amazing video for it. And I, it's like a really, really powerful message. And I'm really excited about that. And uh Hopefully, it can uh, affect some change. We will see. Nice. Obviously, obviously, these current times are 
changing everything um, yeah. is is part of the question around release even sort of like like are you changing the way you're potentially even going to release it assuming oh. not assuming let's say let's say this happens to carry on for another year like hopefully not hopefully not but i'm just yeah. saying you know what i mean like yeah. no, nobody knows what 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 the heck's going on right now yeah totally i mean you know like right now we should be touring around the world right now and like making you know um mm-hmm. having two meals a day <laughs> yeah exactly yeah you know uh, maybe three you know who knows i don't want to get ahead of ourselves <laughs> maybe we'll get there one day um <laughs> yeah um I, I think like we're, we're trying to be cautiously optimistic and we are trying to figure out the plan. And obviously like the plan changes every month. Sometimes it mm-hmm. changes like day to day to day. Um, but it's been really nice that our plan for the next year has kind of stayed solid for the last month or so. And, um, you know, again, we're super lucky to have the team that we do. I seriously, like, I think we have the best manager of all time um, for real. And uh, our our whole, our label's incredible. Our creative director, our marketing director, like we are blessed for sure. And I think that's like so important and something a lot of artists don't really want to talk about. Cause it's like, well, I'm the artist. I'm going to do everything. It's like, well, I mean, Cody and I can write music really good, but we don't know what else we're fucking doing. You know, like we're <laughs> you know we're we're musicians. We're kind of dumb when it comes down to figuring out a real marketing plan. And so, uh, again, that's why I think we've been so, we've taken our time to build our team, right? And like they're in turn, like really giving us so much right now to get uh, out of this this whole situation. And I don't know how much I can say, but we've got a lot of sick plans this year. We've got a lot of sick stuff coming up. That's awesome. So one of the things we like to uh, ask every guest as we wrap it up is, what is in your earbuds lately? Ooh, um, the war on drugs. I have fallen head over heels in love with this band. I don't know if you guys got into them, but if you're a Neil Young fan, Kareem, like you, you have to check out this band. Like Adam Grandusil is like the songbird of her generation. He is something else. Basically, like if you're into Dylan, Tom Petty, um, Bruce Springsteen, any of that kind of Heartland rock, um, I will check it out. But also if you like shoegaze, like I don't know if you guys are into Kevin Shields work with um, uh, my bloody Valentine, but this guy is amazing. He's one of my all time, like favorite musicians going right now. Uh, so check out the last record they did called uh, a deeper understanding. I think it won a Grammy for best rock album a few years ago. And I, I just, um, that's, I listen to that every day. Uh, the new album, Witches, is coming out. I think they made the last record at Abbey road studios, which is, dope and um you know i'm really excited for that record the new haim record is incredible as well Mm. um you know i have i've loved haim since they came out they're kind of like um they they got pigeonholed as being like a fleetwood mac revivalist band for a number of years and i'm not going to fault them for that i mean Lindsay buckingham is one of my favorite guitar players and uh i think daniel haim really captures that same feel on the guitar and cody and i went and saw them at massey hall we somehow scored front row tickets and saw them and like haim is yeah one of the coolest bands going and they've really um stepped up uh their songwriting on the last record there's some stuff that sounds like it should be on hijira by Joni mitchell uh like they've really they've really stepped it up not to say we weren't great songwriters before but like this record that just came out is really special so you know it seems oh. like a lot of american bands are really having a renaissance right now 
which is really cool because I find like as far, when you go to classic rock bands, it's, they're all British. All the best rock bands were British, whereas now I think all of my favorite music seems to be coming out of uh, states, which is cool. So nice, uh, Kevin. Tell us if if people want to find out more about Crownlands, uh, your music, and what you guys are up to. Where's uh, where's the best place they can go? Uh, yeah, crownlandsmusic.com is where everything is. We're doing um, like a really cool monthly letter to the people vibe. Uh, so if you hop on the site, you can subscribe to that. And we put out like a lot of exclusive content through there. And then, you know, after that, the usual social media channels, we're all over like Spotify, YouTube, Apple Music, Instagram. And you just type in crownlands or crownlands music and we're there. Kevin, awesome. thank you so much for joining us. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, it was a pleasure talking to you guys. Stay in touch. Yeah, sure. thanks for your time. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Awesome. Cheers. Cool. Take care.